Think about the tide of the ocean. The tide goes out and the tide comes in. And in the same way, there are times when the level of spiritual life among God's people rises, and there are times when the level of spiritual life among God's people goes into decline. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm David Pick. And Colin, I think all of us who have been walking with Christ for a while can understand that idea. There are times when our spiritual life is strong and vibrant, and other times when we feel we're going through a bit of a trough. Yeah, I think that that's part of the reality of human experience, and it's part of the reality of Christian experience as well. The good news, when we feel like we're in a bit of a slump, is that a new beginning really is possible. And that's what we're looking at in the Scriptures today. We're looking at a time where God's Holy Spirit stirred the hearts of His people in a new way. And that's a great theme for us at the beginning of this new year. And a great prayer for us that God would stir us in a new way, that by his Spirit, he would bring us a new level of spiritual life and that he would lead us forward to accomplish great things within his purposes. We're looking at this together from the book of Ezra. It's a wonderful story from the Old Testament that I think speaks right into our lives today. Let's get to the book of Ezra, chapter 1 and verses 1 to 11, as we start this message called A New Beginning. Here's Colin. Please open your Bible at the passage that has been read for us in the book of Ezra. I realize that this may be a part of the Bible that is less familiar for some of us, but I believe that it speaks very directly in multiple ways to each and every one of us today. I want simply this morning to tell the story for us to be oriented towards this part of the Bible, and you will be able to make the connections. God's people in the Old Testament were brought into the promised land, and God blessed them there, especially during the reign of David and during the reign of his son, King Solomon. But after that, there was a long period of spiritual decline that lasted for about 400 years. God's people kept worshipping other gods. They committed all kinds of great evils. And despite some short-lived periods of reformation, they refused to return to the Lord. And so God gave them into the hands of their enemies. The armies of the king of Babylon came and laid siege to Jerusalem. Some grueling months followed, and in the end, the city fell. At that time, many, many people died. A few escaped, but the vast majority of them were relocated. They were deported. They were resettled in Babylon. And some of the Psalms were written during that time. You may know uh, Psalm 137, for example, by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. So here are God's people, and they're away from the place in which they had known the joy of worshiping God together. They wish that they could get back. They're not able to get back, and they're weeping. And they say, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Now, this exile, as it was known, lasted for 70 years. 70 years. But no earthly kingdom lasts forever, and the kingdom of Babylon went into decline. 
The last of the Babylonian kings was a king by the name of Belshazzar, and he reigned over this vast Babylonian kingdom, but he was a man who lacked self-discipline. He was self-indulgent, and he had absolutely no place for the living God in his life whatsoever. And some of you may remember the story of Belshazzar that's told in the book of Daniel and chapter 5. One night, this king held a drunken party, and he called for the sacred cups that had been dedicated to the service of God in his temple to be brought out for this party so that he could drink from the cups that had been dedicated to the service of the living God. It was an act of absolute defiance towards the living God. I'm Belshazzar, and I can do anything that I like, and even God himself cannot stop me. Except that God did stop him. That night, as Belshazzar was eating and drinking, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote in the plaster on the wall of the palace. Belshazzar was absolutely terrified. The Bible says that the color drained from his face and that his knees were knocking. The party stopped. No more music, and they called for Daniel, who had been known in earlier years to be able to interpret dreams. What did this strange writing that was engraved in the plaster on the wall mean? And Daniel was a man of great courage. He said to Belshazzar, the God who gives you breath, you have not honored. Belshazzar this finger writing in the plaster on the wall is the finger of God speaking to you. And the words that were written were many, many tekel parson. And Daniel interpreted these words. Many, God has numbered your days. And that's repeated twice. God has numbered your days. Tekel. You have been weighed in the balances and you have been found wanting. Parson, your kingdom is, present tense, divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. And on that very night, the night of the drunken party, when the finger wrote on the plaster of the wall of the palace, on that very night, the army of a new king stole into Babylon, and that was the end for Belshazzar. He died that night, the night of the drunken party. And in the months that followed, this great and vast kingdom of the Babylonians became, very quickly, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And the new king, whose army entered Babylon that night, the night of the party, the new king was a Persian king by the name of Cyrus. And the book of Ezra that we're looking at today begins in the very first year of his reign. Now, I want us to get the sense of the story that we're embarking on today. And it is, first of all, the book of Ezra, a story of a new beginning after a long period of disruption. Notice the very first verse. In the first year... Of Cyrus, king of Persia, 
that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Now, to be clear, Cyrus was a long way from being a believer. He clearly knew about the Lord. If you look in verse 2, you'll see that he refers to the Lord by name. But like many in his time, his idea seems to have been that different gods exercised authority in different regions of the world. And you see that, for example, in verse 3, where he refers to the Lord as the God who is in Jerusalem. So this man had certainly heard the name of the Lord. He certainly didn't know the living God who created the heavens and the earth. But here's the encouragement for us today. We're told that God stirred this man's heart. And what that means is that God can stir the hearts of those who don't know him as well as the hearts of those who do. And that is a wonderful encouragement. If you're praying for someone who doesn't know the Lord, who perhaps has been resistant to the Lord for years and years, God can stir the hearts of those who don't know him as well as those who do. And here we're told very clearly in verse 1 that God stirred the heart of Cyrus to make this proclamation. Verse 3, whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord. Now, this was an extraordinary change in social policy in the world of that time. The Babylonian kings had done everything that they could to repress the distinctive faiths of the people that they conquered. This was why they relocated them. Let's get them away from the place that they go to worship. Let's put them in another place. And you remember the story of Daniel, how he and his young friends were taken to Babylon. And then they were taught the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The attempt, you see, was to erase the distinctiveness of their faith. And the idea of the Babylonians was that if you could weaken the faith, the distinctive faith of these various peoples, then that would bring greater cohesion and therefore social stability to uh, the empire and to the kingdom. And the problem, of course, with that is that it simply didn't work. I mean, you know that this is a reality, that if you try and repress the faith of believing people, all that happens is that their faith gets stronger. It's more, more resurgent, and that, that's exactly what happens. You have Daniel with all of his courage, and Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego. These are people who would rather die than deny the God who they love and the God who they worship. So what the Babylonians did in attempts to weaken faith actually only strengthened it and made it more resilient. Now, when Cyrus comes to power, you have a new king with a new policy, and he doesn't waste any time in implementing it. The very first year, we're told, at the beginning of verse 1 of King Cyrus, he is stirred by God to make this proclamation. Cyrus chose the opposite path from the Babylonians. He realized that what they had attempted simply didn't work. And so instead of relocating people, to other areas, what he said was, if you want to go back home, you're welcome to do so. 
In fact, we'll encourage you to do that. If you want to go back and rebuild the temple of your God and to practice your very distinctive faith, we'll give you every encouragement to go after that and do so. And Cyrus believed that this was the way to have greater social cohesion and therefore to have greater stability in the kingdom. Now, please understand then, this is a change of breathtaking proportions. God's people have lived under the Babylonian regime for 70 years. The ones who had been in Babylon for the shortest period of time had been there for 50 years, and many had been there for a longer period of time. And now suddenly, almost overnight, everything changes. There's a new policy, and they're being actively encouraged to return to Jerusalem. So the book of Ezra then is the story of a new beginning after a long period of disruption. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and our message, A New Beginning. It's the first in our series called Return. The book of Ezra is maybe not one we often spend a lot of time in. We want to help you to understand how the books in the Bible fit together. And a good way to do that is with Open the Bible Story. You can find that on our website. It's a journey through the whole Bible, a study course in 30 parts entitled The Drive. It will take you deep into the valleys of the Old Testament, the peaks of the glories of Jesus, and the ups and downs of the Christian life. All the way through, it will show how the Bible always points to the person of Jesus Christ. You can find Open the Bible Story on our website. That's openthebible.org.uk. Back to the message now. Here's Colin. The book of Ezra, then, is the story of a new beginning after a long period of disruption. Secondly, it is a story that speaks to us today because it is a story about a new passion after a long period of discouragement. Look at verse 5, if you would. Then, after the proclamation rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. Now in this series, we're going to follow the story of those who returned to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. But behind that, there is a deeper story that I also want us to follow. It's the story about the rising and the falling of the level of spiritual life among God's people. Think about the tide of the ocean. The tide goes out and the tide comes in. It's either falling or it's rising. One or the other. And in the same way, there are times when the level of spiritual life among God's people rises. And there are times when the level of spiritual life among God's people goes into decline. There are times when God seems to be near. Times when he seems to be far away. There are times where the blessing of God is just absolutely obvious. And there are other times when we can hardly figure out what it is that the Lord is doing. Now, you see this rising and falling 
of spiritual life among God's people in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let me give you two examples from the Old Testament and two from the New. From the Old Testament, Psalm 85, which must often have been on the minds of the exiles during these years in Babylon. Restore us again, O God, of our salvation. And put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Here are people who are wanting a greater blessing from God. Oh God, we need to be restored. We need to be revived. We've lost the joy that once we had. We need to get it back again. Will you do a new work in us and among us? You have a similar kind of desire for a greater level of spiritual life in Isaiah chapter 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Here are God's people and they just long for a greater awareness of the presence of God among them. Why? To make your name known even to your adversaries that the nations may tremble at your presence. Let your presence among us, God, be so evident that even those who don't believe would not be able to deny the reality of it. And so here you have this great longing We're looking for a greater level of spiritual life, O God, a greater awareness of your presence among us. And you find the same rising and falling of spiritual life in the New Testament. Again, let me give you briefly a couple of examples. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 11, the apostle writes to Christian believers and he says this, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Now, what is that saying? Very clearly, here are Christian believers and they've become lethargic. They've become sleepy. They've lost energy. And the apostle says, it's time to wake up. And you have the same language in the book of Revelation from the risen Lord Jesus himself speaking to his church. Wake up. And strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. And if you don't wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. So the point I'm trying to establish from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Is that the level of spiritual life among God's people is like the tide of the ocean. It comes in. It goes out. It goes out. It comes in, but it's always either rising or else it is falling. Now, you don't need me to say again that these are difficult days for God's people. We're all very, very aware of that. But let me put it this way. These are days, surely, when we need a fresh infusion of spiritual life. Let me read a quote to you from Professor Robert Coleman, who used to teach at uh, Trinity. It was very striking to me uh, reading it uh, just this week. He says this, quote, For many good people, even within the church, life has lost its meaning. There is no sparkle in the eye, no spring in the step, And as the religious community flounders in mediocrity, 
the world plunges deeper into sin. I wonder if you relate to that. Long period of discouragement. And there's no sparkle in the eye. There's no spring in the step. We get more and more tired and jaded and our walk with God slides into mediocrity while the world plunges deeper and deeper into sin. That's how it was in Babylon. And what you have in Ezra in chapter 1 is what we desperately need today, a spiritual awakening. God stirred the hearts of his people. There was a fresh outpouring of faith and of joy and of love and of hope, a fresh infusion of energy, a recovery of a sense of calling and a sense of purpose. What we have in the book of Ezra and why it speaks so directly to us today is nothing less than a spiritual movement in which God stirred the hearts of his people. And when the hearts of God's people were stirred, there was a new passion that was birthed within them. A new love, a new joy, a new energy, and a new sense of purpose. So this is the book that we're looking at. It speaks to us in multiple ways. It is the story of a new beginning after a long period of disruption. It is the story of a new passion. As God stirred the hearts of his people after a long period of discouragement. And it is the story of a new challenge after a long period of stability. You've been listening to Pastor Colin Smith on Open the Bible and our message, A New Beginning, the start of our new series simply called Return. And if you ever miss any of our broadcasts, you can always catch up or go back and listen again online. Come to our website, openthebible.org.uk. Or if it fits your schedule better, you can find us as a podcast. Go to your favourite podcast site, search for Open the Bible UK and... Subscribe to the podcast to receive regular updates. Open the Bible is supported by our listeners. That's people exactly like you. And if that's not something you've done up until now, but you'd like to begin this new year by supporting this work, we'd love to encourage you to give a regular donation. This is very helpful for the work of Open the Bible, which spreads the teaching of Pastor Colin Smith around the world. If you've been blessed by Colin's teaching and you want to set up a new regular donation, we'd love to thank you by giving you a gift. In return for setting up a new donation in the amount of £5 per month or more, we'll send you a copy of a book. It's called Psalms by the Day and it's by Bible scholar Alec Mottier. Colin, how would we benefit from reading this book? Well, I expect that folks will often have had the experience of feeling that you've read something from the Bible, but you've really only scratched the surface. And uh, I've found this book to be really helpful in a deeper understanding of the richness of the book of Psalms, which I think is one of the most wonderful books in, in all of the Bible. Alec Matier is a wonderful Bible teacher and a marvelous and faithful scholar now with the Lord. He gives his own translation of the Psalms. 
And that brings out meaning that you might not immediately see just in a first reading of the Psalms in the Scripture. For example, Psalm 1 begins by talking about the blessed man who is planted by rivers of water. And Alec Mateer makes the point that that word planted actually has the meaning of transplanted. Now, that opens up a whole new world, doesn't it? I mean, that I've been taken from one place and I've been rooted in another. That is what God in his grace and in his mercy has done for me. He's transplanted me by streams of living water so that even when hard times come, the leaves will not wither. That's beautiful. Well, there's just one example from Psalm 1. There are 150 Psalms, and this book is over 400 pages. It's a beautiful resource, a rich resource, that folks will really enjoy. I treasure it, and I'm delighted that we have the opportunity of sharing it this month. Well, we'd love to send you a copy of this book to thank you for setting up a new donation to the work of Open the Bible in the amount of £5 per month or more. Details on our website, openthebible.org.uk. For Open the Bible and for Pastor Colin Smith, I'm David Pick, and I hope you'll be able to join us next time. Did you leave the church at some point expecting to come back in the future? Find out why it matters next time on Open the Bible.